You know, I started realizing that they were just not a scriptural church where I should be, and we started looking for a church. And we'd gone to churches and churches and churches, and I actually got real discouraged. And one of my pilots, one of my, the chauffeurs I had, because I was a flight medic and they flew me everywhere. And so I was telling him, and Jay lived around the corner over here off of uh, Rep. And he's like, well, there's a little Baptist church behind your house. And we had bought a house just through the woods over here off Hearst from the Tozier family. Most of you know this story. And we'd bought that house while we were still going somewhere else. And, you know, Lord worked that all out. I mean, it wasn't coincidence. It was providence. And then we started attending here. And then so we started attending here. You know, we'd find ourselves in the basement by ourselves with the lights on. <laughs> and finally, Brother Humphrey's like, here's a key. Just lock up or, you know, so... We enjoy being at the church even when, right? Just fellowship with the Lord's people is a good time. It's good for the soul, isn't it? I, I can remember, I remember like yesterday, Mike O'Brien taking a banana and peeling it open and squirting the whole thing in his mouth. And that banana was as black as this microphone. And he's like, man, they like that. You can just drink them. He would bring all these treats down there to the, the deal and yogurts would be set out for four or five days. He'd be all like, oh, down the hatch, you know. We had a lot of fun over there fellowshipping, but we did. There's a lot of fun times over there fellowshipping and, and, and uh, schooling and getting educated. And then, you know, you, this, is, this is probably beyond some remembrance, but we used to play hockey out there in front of Brother Humphrey's place, the old place where Brother Demlo is now. The, we'd flood that garden out there and play hockey, right? Jordan remembers that, whooping people up with a stick on purpose, all that kind of stuff. He remembers me, I was trying to be gentle and, you know, set a godlike, uh, not them guys, they were, they were vicious. <clears throat> that seems like a lifetime ago, doesn't it? I'd, I'd go out there now and have a heart attack. That's how that'll work. About one or two deals and that at the end of it. Take your Bibles, turn to Judges chapter 3. <clears throat> Judges chapter 3, and I just want to look at uh, one person here, not really just because he is who he is because he's really obscure in the Bible like so many other people. And what I'd like to do, and I'd like you to kind of think about this as we go through this message tonight, is that as we look at this life of this particular man, God is looking to use you the same way wherever you are, wherever you're at, whatever your status, whoever you are. Sometimes we get hung up on the David and Goliaths, right? And we the, the Isaiahs and the Jeremiahs and the great prophets and and Elisha, and Elijah, but God, God desires to use anybody that will be used right where they are. As obscure as you might be, you're no more obscure than I am before God. And the Bible says in, in Judges chapter 3, and just look down here in verse 31, not much written about this man, but it says, And after him was Shamgar, the son of Anath, which slew the Philistines 600 men with an ox goad, and he also delivered Israel. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we are just so grateful once again to be able to gather in this place. Lord, we're so thankful for the common bond that we have in Jesus Christ and the finished work on the cross. And we pray for the lost around us tonight, Lord. We pray for our lost loved ones, our co-workers. Lord, just this lost and dying world we see the need greater and greater each and every day of salvation in the, in the life of people around us. And Lord, we also see a great need of servants. Lord, we, 
we look and we try to figure out who's going to serve when we're gone because it just looks as if nobody's prepared to serve anymore. And we see in the Bible many people that served right where they were and you used them because they were available and they made themselves available. And we just pray for men to continue making themselves available to you first and foremost, Lord, that you might use them in ministry, use them as leaders of their own home, leaders in industry, leaders in community. Father, we need more leaders. We need more godly leaders. And we just pray tonight, Lord, you might use this to move us out of our comfort zone just a, just a little bit, Lord, that we might see the great need there is around us tonight. We pray for the sick, Lord. We pray for the dying. We ask, Father, you'd have your hand upon them in their dark hour. We pray for those grieving their losses, that you might give them grace tonight, Father, to deal with the losses that they have before them. We love you. We just pray you bless this time in Jesus' name. Amen. So <clears throat> here's a man named Shamgar. And the Bible, as I mentioned, is full of people that you go, I've never, how many of you have ever heard of Shamgar? Other than the fact you've read your Bible and you read his name at some point. If I'd have just brought that to you and said, I don't know who Shamgar is. My wife does because I make her learn this obscure stuff all the time. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, we were, listen, this is crazy. I'll just stop. You know Rex Smith right? So he, he's, a, he's, he's a crazy preacher. So when I called him before I went to their conference, I said, was, was I supposed to have five messages or six? I can't remember. He said it was six messages. He goes, now if you're in a jam, I know your wife can turn out another message for you. <laughs> and I said, oh, you're, you're a funny guy, you know. So when I got there and I was preaching, I made the comment. I said, well, thankfully my wife was able to get this six message together for me, you know. So I get done preaching, you know, and I thought it went fairly well. And afterwards, this, this little lady came over to Nita, and she goes, that was a very fine message you wrote. <laughs> so I'll lay off those jokes because I don't want to get in trouble tonight. But uh, I, I told Pastor, he's, he's like, you know, I'm always joking about that. I think she thinks that half these preachers' wives are writing their sermons. I said, oh, man, that was hilarious. But uh, so back to Shamgar here, he's really, his name is only mentioned in two spots in your entire Bible. And you say, well, what can you get out of this, this little bit? Well, there are people that just kind of step out of the shadows that God uses mightily. And then they just kind of fade away. And most of them are never mentioned again in the scriptures. And you might ask why, but you know, you'd ask why about a lot of people in the Bible, because that's just how it is. God uses them for His honor and glory, and, and uh, away they go. If you, look in, if you look with me in 2 Samuel, look to the Bible in 2 Samuel, and you'll want to do this quickly, because <clears throat> i got a few of them here. 2 Samuel 23 and verse 8. Here's a list of some of David's mighty men. <clears throat> These be the names of the mighty men whom David had. The Tecmonite that sat in the seat chief among the captains, the same was Adino the Esnite. He left, lift up his spear against 800 whom he slew at one time. Well, he's one of David's mighty men. Have you ever heard any messages on Adino? Probably not on that particular fella, but he killed 800 men one to, you know, at one time with a spear. That's worthy of mention, isn't it? He served God in a mighty way. When you look here in, in chapter 23 and verse 9, it says, And after him was Eleazar, the son of Dodo the Ahohite, 
one of three mighty men with David, when they defied the Philistines that were there gathered together to battle, and the men of Israel were gone, were gone away, he arose and smote the Philistines until his hand was weary, and his hand clave under the sword. And the Lord wrought a great victory that day, and the people returned after him only to spoil. And you know, when you look at that word clave, what that word means is that he fought so long and so hard, his hand had to be removed from the spear. He had the crab hand from killing men for the Lord. Listen, he was about business of killing and doing God's work to the point they had to peel that thing out of his hand. But you never see this particular Eleazar mentioned again in the Bible. But he, stole, he stood boldly when God called him to. How about verse 11? And after him was Shammah, the son of Aji, the Herorite, and the Philistines were gathered together into a troop where was a piece of ground full of lentils, peas, right? Dried peas. And the people fled from the Philistines, but he stood in the midst of the ground and defended it and slew the Philistines, and the Lord wrought a great victory. This man stood in the middle of a field of peas and defended a field of peas for the Lord. You do that? Dried peas? Are you that crazy about peas? Well, listen, if you feed your family with peas, you feel different about it. This was the food they needed to survive. He's not mentioned any other time. How about the widow of Zarephath over in 1 Kings 17? We're not going to read all that because I think most of you are familiar with that. But she fed the prophet Elijah and sheltered him during a time of famine. A woman that God had prepared ahead of time, right? He shows up. Hey, give me something to drink, woman. Oh, okay. Well, how about you just give me a little something to eat too? Well, well, pal, I've got the last of it and I got two sticks and I was going to put this together so we could eat and die. And he goes, well, I get all that, but give me a little something to eat. Okay. And by faith, she does it. And by faith, we know who the woman, the old widow of Zarephath is, don't we? Because she was faithful to God, but there was really nothing else that, that we know of her besides what she did in that particular time. This is an interesting one. Turn to 2 Kings chapter 5. 2 Kings chapter 5. And look here with me to Naaman. <clears throat> Naaman, in, in verse 1, it says, 2 Kings chapter 5, verse 1. Now Naaman, captain of the host of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master and honorable, because by him the Lord had given deliverance unto Syria. He was also a mighty man of valor, but he was a leper. And the Syrians had gone out by companies, had brought away captive out of the land an Israel, of Israel a little maid. And she waited on Naaman's wife, and she said unto her mistress, Would God, my Lord, were with the prophet that is in Samaria, for he would recover him out of his leprosy. And one went in and told his Lord, saying, Thus and thus said the maid that is of the land of Israel. And so the, the, the story, if you remember, he goes and sees the prophet Elijah, right? And he does what he's told. He's healed. And I believe saved at the same time Naaman, Naaman is, if you, if you take time to read all that. But all we know is that she was an Israelite maid. We don't even have her name. But what she did brought about some greatness for the cause of God, didn't it? 
And they didn't even record her name in the Bible. Just a maid captured out of Israel. How about the nameless little boy that brought his basket of lunch to the Lord? We don't even have the kid's name, do we? But we have the miracle. We remember the miracle, but we don't know that boy's name, do we? No, we don't. The nameless woman that came in who anointed the Lord and washed his feet with her hair and and performed a, a labor of sacrificial love on the Lord Jesus Christ. No name. Joseph of Arimathea, there's some short things written about him. And the list goes on and on and on in your Bibles. What's the point, brother? Well, the point is this. God uses people just like you and me for His honor and glory when we make ourselves available to be used. And one of them is Shamgar. He's a guy, and you say, what can you learn about this in two verses? It's amazing what you can learn. The man in the the passage here, Shamgar... He's an unknown man who just appears on the pages of the Word of God, but he's used in a great way, and then he vanishes back into the pages of the Word of God. We don't hear about him in the New Testament. There's not much known. If you flip back here to the book of Judges once again, and you look in chapter 5 and verse 6, it says, In the days of Shamgar, the son of Anath, in the days of Jael, the highways were unoccupied and the travelers walked through the byways. But listen, outside those two verses, you don't see Shamgar again in the Bible. Very, very obscure, isn't it? Well, what is said about him, though, tells me he's a man of character and he's a man of courage. And we could take that little bit of information and apply it to our own lives. First, we see that Shamgar means either sword or cupbearer. His name alone tells us something about him. The, the details would fit with what we know about him. He was used like a sword in the hand of God. Listen, when, when we prepare ourselves to be used of God, and we're a sharp tool like we need to be, and God gets a hold of that tool, God can do a lot of things with a sharp tool. It doesn't have to be something fancy. God can use anything as long as it's prepared to be used. But too often they aren't, are they? He was like a cupbearer who brought the cup of God's wrath to those that God would judge when they tried to bring down the children of Israel. He would not have it. You know what? I I can be a hard guy. Some of you are like, I don't see that side of you. But I can be a hard guy. I believe that men ought to be men. I believe men ought to be men like the Bible describes. We need to be meek. And we need to love, and we need to cherish our wives, and we need to support our pastors and be members of our church. But let me tell you what, you ought to defend every one of those things with your life. And men aren't doing that. They do a lot of this, but they don't do a lot of sham (laughs) guarding. We'll get to that in a minute. He's called the son of Anath. Anath was a Canaanite goddess of war. I don't know what all that means. Maybe it just means he was a warrior of the lineage of the warriors or from the town of Anath. It's it's hard to say when you study this. It simply says his father was Anath. We just have to take it for what it is, but there's a lot there it could be. But one thing we know about Shamgar, he was a farmer because he carried an ox goad, right? If the description of Ron the Baptist was he drove a tractor... 
you'd probably assume a few, a few things about him. Well, he's probably a farmer. He drives a tractor. The man has an ox goat, and ox goats were used for goats. Oxes. Which one? Well, the oxes. Do you remember over in the New Testament, <clears throat> Saul, Saul, why kick a sow against the pricks? The goad, right? It's sharp on the end. And sometimes the ox, or listen, a real ox, if you've seen a real ox, they're pretty good sized. And sometimes real ox do what real ox want to do. And you've got to come up behind them and give them a little remembrance that you're the guy in charge, and they're not in charge. And you take that ox goat in the hand of a man that knows how to use it, and he can drive a team of oxen anywhere they want to go, anywhere he wants them to go, by simply poking them with that thing. Especially when it's sharpened up the way it ought to be. When I worked with pigs, we had pig stickers. They're about this long, carry about four AA batteries in them, and you'd jam that thing up that wet hog nose and hit that button, and he'd go wherever you told him to. That's what the ox goat did. It also was used to protect him. It could be used as an instrument to protect yourself with, if you knew how to use the instrument, right? It was a pole about 8 to 10 feet long, 2 inches in diameter, so it's a pretty stout piece of, piece of equipment you've got there. <clears throat> that long iron point on one end, and the other end sometimes had almost a little makeshift kind of shovel thing on it. Anything that's eight foot long, two inches around, with any metal parts on the end, can hurt real bad when someone's swinging it. Oh yeah, just look at the damage a woman does with an umbrella. <laughs> just try it. <laughs> I know the kind of damage a woman can do with a remote control. <laughs> that, we'll save that story for another time. <laughs> but, but the end of that tool was used to get things done. The other thing we know about Shamgar had to do in the time in which he lived. It talks a lot about Philistines, doesn't it? Now, who were the Philistines when it came to the nation of Israel? They were the bad guys. They're still bad guys today. The devil is still alive and well today. And the devil's minions and his little imps are out there today. And what they would like to do is destroy your marriage and your children, and your church, and everything about you. That's what the devil wants to do. If you claim Jesus Christ as your Savior, he will come at you with all he has to take you out. He is the enemy. There's still an enemy today. They might not be the Philistines. Could just be the people on the other side of the aisle. But we have enemies out there today. Don't pretend like we live in a fight that's not happening around us. We have a fight going on. It's spiritual, the Bible says. You might not be able to see it all, but it is going on, and the devil is trying to win. That's a constant thing I was studying today about the wiles of the devil and how the wiles, in that, in that Greek word, it really means that, that he's not coming at us full ahead. He's wily. He's coming at us from the sides. You know the dog that nips at the heel and the back of the animals? Sometimes the animal never sees the dog and he gets nipped. That's what the devil does. You never see him coming. You know what he does? He's got a folder in there. He's got a folder in his office he pulls out. And he says, oh, look here. There's a, here, here we have Gene Humphrey. All we have to do is not let him read a book for a week and he'll start getting discouraged. And we could come around and we can, listen, don't let him get sleep because he likes to sleep and he likes to read. <laughs> so we're going to come around and take that away and let's see what happens with him and his demeanor. 
Right? And he flips over to Ron Lambert and he says, oh, look here. The salmon are running in July. So let's take about half the people and, and they can just give him fit so he can't go do what he likes to do in July. And he'll be in a bad mood all through the month of July. And then he'll run some people off from church. That's how the wily the devil is. He doesn't come through the front door and knock and say, I'm here. He comes in and tries to destroy. There's a real enemy out there that has to be fought. Shamgar had a real enemy that he could see called the Philistines. He lived in a time when the Philistines were very real and very difficult for the people of Israel. If you read Judges chapters 3 and 4, you'll see that. They came in and tried to destroy them any way they could. They would come in and try to wipe out their crops so they'd steal their crops. So they, had, they didn't come in and kill them with a knife, but they killed them anyway, didn't they? If you got nothing to eat, you're in trouble. And that's what the enemy did. Indirectly came wily and took away their crops. Shamgar said, look, this is my pea field, and if you want it, you're going to shed your blood for it. And if we had men that would stand up in their home and say, this is my home, and if you want my wife, it's going to cost you your life, pal. You want my kids, it's going to cost you some flesh and blood. It's about time we see some fighting men. Shamgar had an ox goad. What do you got? What do you have at your disposal? You got the Word of God, don't you? You have the Spirit of God. We have prayer. We have God on our side. And sometimes we just don't use it because we're busy being our own worst enemy. <laughs> we just kick the door up and say, come on in. I'm going to go out there in the world and do my own thing. You just come in and destroy everything you want to. Shamgar said, I'll have none of it. He said, I'm sick and tired of the Philistines coming in and taking our stuff, and I'm not having it. <clears throat> he got riled up. Listen, Jabin was a powerful king of Canaan. 900 iron chariots, it says in Judges 4.3. His army seemed totally unbeatable. And, uh, and as was custom in those days, he probably wouldn't allow the Israelites to arm themselves. They always came in and disarmed them, didn't they? they take their swords, take anything they could beat into a sword, and they say, oh, well, you can have an ox good. What can you do with that? <laughs> Shamgar said, I'll show you what I can do with that. I'll show you what I can do in the power of God and God's might with nothing but an ox goat. I'll kill 600 of your men. That guy was serious about serving the Lord. There was time when people were filled with fear. If you look here in Judges chapter 5 and verse 6, it says here that in the days of Shamgar, that the travelers walked through byways, the inhabitants of the villages ceased, verse 7, they ceased in Israel until that I, Deborah, arose, that I arose a mother in Israel. They were too afraid to go out and travel the roads because they were getting mugged, they were getting killed, they were getting beat. It was a bad time. Listen, it's hard for us to understand that because we have all our rights, don't we? We do, don't we? I got a show of hand how many people here own guns. Most everybody in this room has one or has one near them somewhere. We have the right to defend ourselves. They didn't. But if you didn't have your guns, what would you do to protect your family? Well, you'd find a sword, or you'd find something, wouldn't you? Listen, I don't just have a gun in my home. I also have a big, nice sword, too. You think I'm crazy here? You should see me with a sword. Just come into my house on one in the middle of the night without my reading glasses on. I don't know who you are. And I'm just going to start swinging and hacking. It's my house. I paid for it. That's my wife. If you come in here uninvited, you'll get killed. Don't sneak into my house and play tricks. How about your house? 
Would you defend your house? I hope so. Right, listen, if you got nothing in your house to steal your house, you ought to defend it. Listen, we ought to defend the house of God, shouldn't we? When a troublemaker comes in, we ought to put the troublemaker out. We should defend the things of God like Shamgar did with whatever we have available. <clears throat> it was a time when people lived in fear. They were afraid to leave their homes. They were afraid to do anything. And one of the great lessons we can learn from Shamgar is this. God tends to use those that are already busy doing what they're supposed to be doing. Shamgar didn't get out of his easy chair to go do this. I believe he was already in the pea field they showed up. And he said, not again, pal. I'm out doing what I'm supposed to be doing. I'm out here taking care of my family. I'm earning a living. I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. And it's going to cost you your life to change that. Is that how convicted you feel about it? Listen, people ought to have some convictions. We live in a day where people don't tend to have too many convictions they're willing to die for. What is it you're willing to die for? It might not be too far down the, down the line here where you're going to have to take a bigger stand than you do today about the things you believe from the Word of God. We live in a wicked time. When God called Shamgar, He called a man that was already busy. He called a man that was already at work. Shamgar was actively feeding his family and caring for what God had given him, and we should do the same. Shame on us when we don't. When the enemy came, God used Shamgar as an instrument. You know, that's what God's doing with Noah George over, overseas, isn't he? He's using him as an instrument. He is an extension of this church preaching gospel in a dangerous land, trying to reach the lost, trying to see men saved and trained in the ministry to see churches started to see hope in a dark land but that instrument has to be a usable instrument it's got to be willing shamgar was willing as far as we see we don't see where he ever bucked and kicked against god god came and he he said i'm right here right now i'll serve listen what i have found in my years of ministry and i'm not that wise of a fella but i've looked around and i can tell you i've never seen god use too many lazy men I've seen plenty of lazy men fall the wayside. That's too much for me. Man, I was just having a discussion with Brother Gene today, and I had, had someone call me, and they're like, man, Pastor, I'm working 40 hours a week. I worked 110 hours a week when I got married in 1982. <laughs> I, I, was, I mean, we were making nothing back then. 110 hours a week, and I could barely pay my bills. So it's hard for me to listen to somebody, well, I'm working 40 hours a week, you know. When you've got the car that mom and dad helped you buy, and you've got the apartment that mom and dad paid the down payment in, you've got the job that dad helped you get, it's hard for me to sympathize. Men need to go out and scratch it out. That's what men do. By the sweat of your brow, God said, he didn't say it's going to be easy and I'll just give it all to you. He said, look, you're a sinful creature and you've got to earn it. You've got to get up and you've got to go. You get up every day whether you feel good or not and you do what you're supposed to do and you get busy and God can use people like that. Men and women. There are plenty of lazy on both sides of the aisle, folks. Don't be raising up lazy children for God because that's not His desire. His desire is for us to raise active children ready to serve Him when they've been trained up. 
He saved us to serve. Isn't it say in Ephesians 2.10, we're workmen? Isn't that what it says? What, what's it say back here in James chapter 2? Turn back there with me real quick. In James chapter 2, what does the Bible tell us back here? In James chapter 2, in verse 17, <clears throat> James chapter 2, down in verse 17, the Bible says, Even so faith, if it hath not works, is dead, being alone. Yea, a man may say, Thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works. I'll show thee my faith by my works. Thou believest that, thou is one, that there is one God. Thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. But wilt thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? God desires us to work doing whatever it is we're supposed to do. Listen, if you're a mechanic, be the best mechanic you can be where you're at. God will use that at some point in time. You never know when a missionary comes through or somebody needs a mechanic somewhere and God has prepared you to go take care of that man's need. And that's a blessing to him. It's a blessing to you. Listen, I, many, many things over the years that I've been able to help missionaries with is just a blessing to do it. It's a blessing to be able to have four vehicles and say, hey, brother, take this one. I don't use it much anyway. It's a loner. Hey, may God bless it for another 10 years. But do what you do well. Be prepared in whatever that is that God might use you in that. <clears throat> Our faith ought to be more than just looks. It ought to be working. We ought to be serving God in the small tasks that He assigns us. And listen, eventually as God sees you faithful in the small things, He will assign you the bigger things. Because you've been found faithful. And you know what? You might, you might remain obscure in all of that. <laughs> There's so many people that have come and gone since I was saved. And so I, I was Plaque Road and, and Lighthouse. People have come and gone and you don't know their names because they came and went and they worked for God and they served God. They did their time. They did everything they could for the Lord. And you don't even know who those people are and they're not in the Bible. But God used them because they were available and they were willing. Shamgar was like that. But if God can't trust you to do the small things, how's God ever going to trust you to do the big things? Listen, you want, you, you want a big family, but you want, don't want to take care of the one kid God gave you. Right? Listen, you raise the first one like you raise the second, like you raise the tenth or the twentieth. There's a responsibility to that. God places you in a local New Testament church. You ought to be as faithful as you possibly can be. You should serve God in this church. I'm thankful for the men that do serve in this church, by the way. This is not a rebuke. It's a blessing that I've seen over the years that, you know, a pastor, we have conferences, he's not cleaning toilets, amen? There's men going over and scrubbing things and helping fix things and plumb things. And that's a blessing, but that's how it should be. That should be the normal. That shouldn't be the exception. We should be doing what we can where we can. Listen, God saw David kill a lion and kill a bear, and he simply prepared him to kill a giant. And if you want to kill a giant, you got to get busy killing bears and lions first. Let me tell you, courage is something men today lack. Have you ever been hit, punched in the face, Jordan? Has somebody ever punched you right in the face? It hurts, man. But I'll punch him right back. Courage is standing up and standing tall and protecting what you've got. And you know what? Sometimes it comes at great pains. 
Sometimes when you get in battle with somebody, you get cut and you get maimed and you get injured. You think these mighty men of war, David came back and none of them had band-aids on? Listen, it's easy to get beat up the first time and never go out the second time. Real courage is doing it twice. Or three times. How many of these men went in battle after battle after battle and said, David, we're behind you. Listen, the God of Israel is with us. We're going to defeat the enemy. We have to have that kind of mentality to defeat the devil in our life. If you're going to put out these kind of fires, you've got to become a fireman. And God can use that. Secondly, Shamgar here was a warrior. Like I said, they're being oppressed by the Canaanites under King Jabin and his big powerful army. They were discomfited. They were weak militarily speaking. They weren't in a position to defend themselves. And this provided this opportunity for the Philistines to take advantage of them at every turn. Listen, just quit reading your Bibles and quit praying and quit coming to church and quit doing the things God tells you and see how fast it crumbles. It'll fall apart. It will. My own life falls apart when I start lacking in those areas. So I know how this works. You're, you're not the only person that feels crummy when they don't get up and read their Bible or don't have enough time in prayer. It affects my life. It affects what I do before God. It affects my whole family. My wife can tell you when I'm grumpy, everything's wrong in the house. <clears throat> How about you, Sister Susie? If he's grumpy, is things... Uh... Oh, no, she's like, it's peachy. <laughs> right, ladies? When husband's grumpy, it's just fine, isn't it? But you can tell the difference in the home when the husband's walking with the Lord and the wife's walking with the Lord. It's a peaceful place to be, isn't it? And when the kids are doing what they're supposed to do in the Lord, it's a peaceful place to live. Who wants to live in a war zone? Most of the time we live in a war zone, it's self-inflicted. We have not defended the things that need defended. We've let it go. We've said, I don't care, that's your problem. You pay for it. That, well, the Philistines were taking advantage of them, capturing slaves, destroying villages, starving them out. How would you like somebody to come along, kick your door, and take all your kids, you never see them again? And then just whisk them off into slavery. We don't really have a whole lot of uh, risk of that, do we? So it's hard for us to relate to how these people had to live. It's easy to judge them, but we've never had to live like that, have we? I, I pray we never have to. But when they came, most of the people of Israel would flee in terror. Listen, God doesn't want us to have that spirit of fear. We shouldn't flee every time conflict comes. Listen, first thing we should do is get on our knees before God and dig in. Don't we have the whole armor of God over there in Ephesians? We do. And we should utilize the whole armor of God. And if you're not good at it, you should practice. They wanted to avoid death or capture, but Shamgar said, I'm not doing it anymore. I'm standing my ground, I've got my ox goat, and I'm going to show you what I can do with my ox goat to 600 of the best men the Philistines send across my field. Now, I don't know if you've ever been around dead bodies. You see one dead body or two dead bodies, it can be pretty traumatic. 600 dead bodies? <laughs> That's a scene. That's a pile of dead guys. But you know what? That's the power of God working. That's not the power of one man working. That's God using that man and him clinging to that thing and going, no more. I'm standing my ground right now, no more. He'd had enough. He wasn't going to have it. A man that was in top-notch physical condition, but his power wasn't physical, it was spiritual. 
God was winning these battles for these men. And listen, when we're right with God, God will help us win these battles. When we're not right with God and we try to do this in the flesh, it becomes a disaster. You try to win this war in the flesh, it'll never happen. It's going to be done through the will of God and the power of God. But he was a man empowered by God. And listen, I have no doubt that some of those other Philistines came up and saw that pile and said, I'm going to go to the next field. I'm going over here. That guy over there just sitting down doing nothing. I'm heading over there. But this dude with the ox goad and all the bodies laying around, I'm not going in there. And you know what the devil does? The devil goes, it's pointless right now because mom and dad and kids are doing everything God's supposed to be doing. And I sense the Spirit of God working in and through them. I'll go next door. I'll go to the next house. Why should I waste my effort trying to get into your house when I can really slip into this house because they're not doing what God is commanding them to do? Right? Listen, anybody that doesn't want to waste energy understands how you do this. You go to the one that's weak. Don't try to battle the strong one. Go beat up the four weak ones. Wait for that guy to slip up. Come back and get him later. But guy with the guy with the ox goad, I'm not messing with him right now. I'm going next door. There's three or four more farms. When I show up, they're going to run away because they don't have the Spirit of God. Right? That's how that works. Listen, he was fighting for everything he had. His home, his family, his freedom, his land. But he was fighting for the right to worship the God of Israel. And they weren't going to change that. They weren't coming in there with their God telling him who he was going to worship. How long is it going to be before they come in your home and tell you who you're going to worship? They've really tried a few times, haven't they? Listen, these are the laws they pass. are all about getting you to quit worshiping the God of the Bible. They want to make you think it's okay to butcher babies. It's okay for men to marry men and women to marry women and men to act like women. But it's not okay. It's never been okay. It never will be okay. But are you willing to die for that? Are you willing to stand and fight for that when it may cost you your life and your freedom and your family? It may be, listen, it may be required of you one day. <clears throat> Shamgar was a spiritual powerhouse. He was used mighty and his name's recorded. Listen, God may have saved you to be this kind of servant. Maybe we're just humble servants. Listen, I just serve God the best I can serve God. But every one of us has been called to be a warrior. What do you mean, brother? Well, listen, let me tell you. When, you. when you enlist in the Army, you have an MOS or the Air Force or whatever you're in. They give you an MOS. And I found as I was in the Army, because the first time I was in, I was combat arms. What's that mean? Well, that's where all the, the road marching, you know, gorillas, the knuckle draggers, that's where they are as in combat arms. Right? We don't need brains, we need brawn. Put the rucksack on, get busy. Well, I got out and came back in as a medic, and I, I, I listened to medics say, well, that's not my job. I'm not doing that. That's not my job. I was like, let me tell you what. You sign on the bottom line. You belong to the United States Army. If I tell you to get your hide out there and do that, that's what you're doing. You have a new job description today. Today is in you're in the Army. If you can't medic, you're going to shoot. You see what I'm saying? You're in the Army. This may be what you're primarily called to do, but there may come a time where you got to do this. And I think too often in Christianity, we get comfortable and say, well, I've been saved to be a pew warmer. God didn't call me to preach. God didn't call me to pastor. That is Brother Dimlow's problem. That is Brother Humphrey's problem and Brother Lambert's problem. That's not my problem. Listen, we're in this together. 
And when the battle comes, it doesn't matter what your position is. You better take up, take up your arms and fight for the Lord. And fight for the Lord's house. And fight for the Lord's people. And fight for your family. And fight for everything you love. But you sit on the sidelines, you'll sacrifice every bit of that. God needs more warriors. Doesn't matter what you're doing, do it well, but be prepared. Be prepared to be used like Shamgar was. When God saved us, He enlisted us in His army. And He set us about the business of spiritual warfare. What's it say in Galatians chapter 5? Are we not involved in spiritual warfare? According to Galatians chapter 5, in verse 13, the Bible says, For brethren, ye have been called unto liberty, only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another, for all the laws fulfilled in one word, even in this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself, but if ye bite and devour one another, take heed that ye be not consumed one of another. This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall, shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh, for the flesh lusteth against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary the one to the other, so that ye cannot do the things that ye would. But if ye be led of the Spirit, ye are not under the law. And he goes on and talks about the works of the flesh and the works of the Spirit. Listen, when you are saved, you begin a spiritual battle God wants this, and the devil wants that. And you better pick up the tools God's given you, the Word of God, prayer, faith, the helmet of salvation, put them into, into work, defending the things of God. Right where you are. You don't need to go somewhere else to do it. You need to do it right where you are. If you can't do it right where you are, you're not going to go somewhere else and do it. You need to defend you and your family and your church and your people right where you are. That's what Shamgar did. We're at war. We're at war with Satan. We're at war with the wicked ones out around us that would oppress us and tell us what we should believe and what we shouldn't believe. I'll not have it in my house. When God says, thus saith the Lord, that's what it means. I'm not changing my views on those things. There are some things I am willing to die for. You've got to figure out what you're willing to die for. But we're at war with the world like the Philistines. It invades us and takes away everything we value and love because we give an inch. We're at war and there's some things worth fighting for. Some things cry out for us to stand our ground and fight against it. Marriage. Listen, the sanctity of marriage, the institution of marriage, we're at war for that today. What the world says is okay and what God says is okay are two different things. And you better know where you stand. We don't have to be mean about it, but you better take a stand about it. People need to understand there's a payment to be made when we cross God in these areas. Our church is worth fighting for. Our marriages are worth fighting for. And we need to get in the fight for the lost souls around us. It, isn't it interesting that when it comes to lost, wicked events, people have no problem talking about those in the workplace. Hey, you're going to go do this this weekend. You're going to this concert. You're going to go do that. You're going to go to the new Dungeons and Dragons show. You're going to, you know, they don't have no problem with that, do they? Why is it Christians have problems saying, hey, you know, instead of that, why don't we go do this this weekend? Why don't we, why don't we engage in some godly activity? Why don't the men get together and take the young boys out and do something godly? 
get their minds off the things of the world that take away from them. Listen, little boys love to ice fish as much as I do. I remember many times going ice fish, Brother Humphrey, we'd take the kids out, freeze death, catch nothing. <laughs> but we weren't involved in wickedness. We had a lot of fun. You know, if you've never seen Brother Gene snore in a sled or snore in a, in a wheelbarrow <laughs> or snore in a, wherever he's at, you just haven't experienced it yet. You remember those trips, Jordan? All the fun we had. We were, man, I, I remember all the different hunting, fishing adventures we had, and, and some of them were disastrous. And we just laughed the whole time. You know why we did that? Because we, we didn't want our kids out doing something else. We got them involved with us. Listen, dads, your sons need to be with you. Moms, your daughters need to be with you. You need to fight for that. You don't need to raise little boys. God gave you little girls. Raise little girls. God gave you little boys. Make them little men. Fight for that. Don't let the world tell you what you're supposed to do or what's right or wrong or being insensitive. We've got too many sensitive young boys around. It's horrible. Fight for those things. But lastly here we see Shamgar the victor. The Bible said back there in that verse, in chapter 3, in verse 31, And after him was Shamgar the son of Anath, which slew the Philistines 600 men with an ox goad, and he also delivered Israel. He was victorious in what he did. He delivered the people of God. What a Listen, if you did nothing but defend the people of God, that's worth a mark in all of eternity. If you defended one person of God, he, he delivered all the nation of Israel. Read through the judges and see what they did. What, what's going to be written of you when it's said and done? What's going, to, what's going to be written down that I did when it's said and done? Listen, I'm involved in this as much as you are. I've got a wife. I've got kids. I've got grandkids. The list goes on and on of, of, of influence, the circle of influence God has given me. God's given me a church full of people and a bunch of little kids that, that I treat like they're my own. And God says, watch over them. Pastor over them. Pay attention to what they do. Make sure they don't go afoul. Fight for their little lives. Fight for their souls. It's not your pastor's job to do all that. God gave the children to you first. But he should certainly watch over them as well. And as church members, as family of God here, you ought to be watching over them too. You see something afoul, you should be going, Dad, and going, hey, Dad, that, that you, got, you need to fix this. Mom, this needs to be fixed. You can't let this carry on. Fight for your children. Fight for your home. God doesn't want this for you. He delivered Israel because he had the courage to do it. He had the courage to make the difference in the lives of those that he fought for. And listen, we're fighting things, brethren, that truly matter. There's a lot of things you fight for that don't make a hill of beans. Some days it seems like there are very few victories. But the fight's still worth fighting, isn't it? Sometimes it doesn't feel like we're making any ground, but we need to keep fighting. God wants us, the Bible says, to fight the good fight of faith. Trust in God and do what God tells you to do and fight. And if we can pass down a pure gospel message, if we can hand off a holy church to the next generation, if we can stand on the doctrines we've always stood on, then we've been successful, haven't we? But we've not taken the word Baptist off of our church sign out here. 
That when we come, we take a stand and say, listen, baptism comes after salvation. And this is how you're saved. Without this, you're not saved. And we stand on those truths of God and we do not bend. They're worth fighting for. Many churches don't stand or fight for those things anymore. The Baptist church in our own town, they used to stand for something they don't anymore. They got a pastor, now it's been divorced and remarried. I don't agree with that. I think you're disqualified at that point. There's some things we have to fight for. Can God use divorced people? He, he can. I'm not saying He can't. I'm telling you that there's some positions of God that are worth fighting for. There's some things of God worth fighting for. I want to listen to God say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. I certainly don't want to say, hear God say, what a dirtbag you turned out to be. Or, man, I didn't think I saved people that lazy. I don't want to hear that. I, listen, I'm not perfect, but I want to do as good as I can. <laughs> uh, do, do what I can do in the day of battle. And let me encourage you to stay in the fight. Listen, there's too many people around us laying down their ox goads and going, I give. I'm out. Right? Like in that, those, those fighting in the ring, they just tap out. I'm, I'm done. I'm not fighting to the death. I'm just done. I'm out. I've had enough. This is too much for me. When's enough enough? <clears throat> well, I don't think it ever is. Let me encourage you to get in the fight and stay in the fight. Keep preaching. Keep teaching. Keep living for the Lord. Keep attending church. Keep raising your children. Keep supporting your pastor. Keep doing the things that God has commanded you to do. And just stay in the fight. Wherever you're at, whatever you're doing, stay in the fight. Those things you know that aren't right, that are taken away from those things, get rid of them. Put them aside. <clears throat> Protect what matters. The Bible says in Galatians 6, 9, Let us not be weary, weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. How many of you felt like fainting before? I have. Let me tell you what, I've been in some fights. There's people in this church been in some fights. Most everybody in here has been in some kind of fight or another. Whether it's a church fight or a personal fight or a family fight or an employment fight, you've been in some battles yourself, haven't you? Then God is always faithful when we stay in the fight and we stand on the right side of God. It doesn't matter what the world does or what you might get fired. I had a buddy of mine. That's, I'm about finished here, so I'll go ahead and tell you this. So a man I was in the army with, he was my platoon sergeant, Boot Talks. We were in Desert Storm together, Desert Shield together. We were fishing buddies. He outranked me by quite a bit. He'd been in the army a long time. I got out. When I came here, I, I had not talked to Boots in, in, you know, for 30, over 30 years. I'm watching TV, and Boots Hawks is on Fox News. And I'm like, what has he done? You know? I knew he'd never go on CNN, but he's on Fox News. Well, you know what? For, like, for almost 15 years, the hospital he'd been working at in California... On his emails at the bottom, it said, you know, it, it said something like, God bless. Fifteen years it did that. Till one day an atheist shows up at work, and he's offended by the God bless on the bottom of the deal. And Boots says, well, I'm not taking it off. Unless everybody in this hospital takes all these little rainbow flags and everything else off, that's not coming off my email. Fair enough, right? Freedom of speech. It's America, right? So he went home for the weekend, came back Monday, his door's locked. His account's locked, his card doesn't work, the whole deal, so he gets a hold of the, I don't know what, some, some conservative defamation league, and he ends up on Fox News. So I hear where he's at. I call the hospital in California and say, I need to get a hold of, 
you know, so he called me. I, otherwise, I'd never got a hold of him. And then here two weeks ago, I had lunch with him down in Arizona. For the first time in 31 years, I'd seen Boots. He's still in the fight. He's got a bunch of flags in a can. He's, he's having lunch with representatives and senators. He's active in his church. And he's probably the biggest loudmouth on the block. And he is in the fight. And he's like, I'm not going to quit fighting because our nation is going the wrong way. And I'm fighting for it. And you go, he's still fighting. He's not giving up. But how many people have given up? How many people used to sit right here in this church and gave up and they left? And they moved somewhere else and they don't go to church there either. They gave up. They laid their ox goat down and said, come and get my family and whatever else you want. I don't care. And Satan says, well, I win. I got exactly what I wanted. You laid your ox goat down and left. Shamgar said, I'm not having any of it. So what lessons do we take away from this obscure Savior of Israel here? Well, the first lesson we see is God can use anyone, even those who think they're a nobody, for His glory. You know, when God called me, I was just a nobody. I got saved as a nobody. God saved me a nobody. You guys didn't know me before I got saved, did you? I didn't know Brother Gene Free got... It was the same for all of us, wasn't it? We were just nobodies living this, living this life. And God got a hold of us. And God convicted us of our sins. And we repented and trusted His Son. And we became part of something bigger. And then God said, I'm going to take a nobody and make a somebody. Because you're available. But if you're not available, He can't ever use you. That's a choice you have to make is to be available. I'm not telling you what to do, and I'm not trying to guilt trip you. Honestly, I am not. I'm telling you, when I got saved, God broke me about being in the army. I was already broken physically, and now emotionally and spiritually, God broke me and said, this is not for you. It's time for you to do something different. And I signed a declaration of service because I knew I couldn't carry on with my back and my liver swelled up and my neck and all that. There was a lot of mitigating factors, but I knew God wanted me to do this. I said, God, I'll do this. And when I started to preach, I had no idea what that entailed. None. I just simply said, God, I'm right here and I'll, I'll do it. Tell me what to do. And you know how God spoke to me? Through Gene Humphrey. He said, hey, you've been called to preach. You're preaching next Sunday. I'm like, well, I've, i got to go to school or something. I need training. I need... He's like, hey, you've been called to preach, man. Not my problem. <laughs> what should I preach? Well, what you know. <laughs> Which was very little. Terrified. You know, the first message everybody's like, that was sewer. I was back in my knees like, blah, 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 blah. they didn't see that. That's why God gives us pulpits. <laughs> terrified. There's still places I go, I'm terrified. I go in the room and I see all these preachers, these highly educated guys, and I think, oh man, let me go do something else. Give me the ox goat. I'm better at that. Yeah. I'm much better at that. Listen. God just wants to use you right where you're at, but you've got to be willing. And if you're not willing, there's not much God can do with you. You have to be willing. Second, Sham fought with what he had. <clears throat> he had an ox goad. Moses, he had a rod. David had a sling. What, are you, what did God give you? You just use whatever God gave you. You don't have to go looking for anything different than what God already equipped you with. But whatever it is God equipped you with, you better learn to use that skillfully. Whatever that might be. <clears throat> you know, the lunch of a little boy. <laughs> Dorcas's needle and thread. 
that widow and her meal and her barrel and her cruise. Whatever it is, be prepared to use it. Has God ever spoken to you about this matter of fighting for Him? I mean getting in the big game. Has God ever called you to preach? You know, there was a time when we had a bunch of men that thought they were called to preach. I don't remember how many people we had. And a lot of them, were, they laid their ox goads down and they left. Because it's not an easy life. <clears throat> if you're looking to get rich doing this, it's not, the, it's not the way to go. But let me tell you what the, the fulfillment that comes with the call to preach is indescribable. The blessing and the hand of God in this position is just indescribable. The things that God have done in my life since I surrendered to preach, I, I could end up where Noah is. I, you know, I was willing to do whatever God wanted me to do, and I'm right where I think God wants me to be. I've ended up right where I believe God would have me. Or do, you, do you really believe you're right where God would have you to be? Whatever that is you're doing today, do you believe God has you right where you would be, serving Him where you are? If not, you should think about doing something different. <clears throat> you'll never be happy and you'll never be fulfilled doing something God doesn't want you to do. I know that. I worked on the pipeline. I, I made the big money and also missed a lot of church. And you know, I justified it in my own mind. This, this, is, this was of God because I prayed for it. So God must want me to miss church. Hebrews 10.25 doesn't apply to me because God gave me the stamp of approval to miss church because, right? You know what kind of hogwash that is? It is hogwash. Forsaking is forsaking. doesn't matter how you feel about it. It's still forsaking. <clears throat> but it's apparent to me that a lot of God's people just don't want to get in the fight. They want to let the fighters fight. Listen, the least you could do is resupply, right? When you get in the fight, you need resupply. They really don't care about the souls of others at the end of the day. I, I'm telling you, I'm, I say that as honestly as I can. I meet plenty of people that are saved, and they're just simply okay being saved. And they're, they're, they're okay with everybody else dying and going to hell. They're saved. That's not the attitude of God's people that they should have. You should get in the fight. You should go fight for that neighbor or that child. You know, I see people all the time, and a lot of it is, I'll give it to you, I'm in the ministry, so people look on the phone, they go, Placo Baptist Church, Brother Dimlo, Brother Humphrey, these guys are men of God, we need counseling. So there's, there's, there's a contact there that comes with that position. But there's also lots of people out there that are just miserable in their lives. You know, there's a lot of young ladies out there with kids, and their husbands are deployed, and they just need some Christian mom to come along and say, you know what, it can be better than this. God can help you through this, and here's how. Some young soldier getting ready to eat a gun. 22 a day are doing it. Probably more than that, but that's all they're letting you know about. I have guys call me in the middle of the night. Tell me why I shouldn't kill myself. Well, you know, there's desperate people out there that just need you. I don't know them. You do. You just got to get in the fight. Get your ox goat out, sharpen the end of it, and get in the battle. And go find those people. Say, hey, I'm here for you, man. Just let them know you're there for them. And you're in the fight. Say, I'm in the fight. I'm fighting for you. I don't want you to die and go to hell. I don't want you committing suicide. I don't want you getting divorced. I don't want to see your family scattered. Get in the fight. You know how to help these people. 
I can't help them all. Brother Demlo, the men of God can't help them all. It's going to be the people in these pews that help those people. At the very, at the very least, guide them to the leadership of the church that can help them. But get in the fight. Pick the ox goat up. The world might not know your name, but if you're saved, God has written your name down in heaven and He knows who you are. And you'll not be forgotten because your name is in the Lamb's book of life. It might be obscure, but God knows who you are. Shamgar might be a name you never remember after this night. But he was written down for all of eternity in the Word of God because he had the, he had the nerve to stand with an ox goad and kill 600 men before they got to his family and his people. What are you willing to do for your family and your people? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we're so grateful for the Word of God and the guidance in the Word of God and the challenge from the Word of God tonight. We, Lord, there's so many obscure people in the Bible. There's so many people that we could use as examples here. All these mighty men of, of valor, the Bible calls them, that served with David. And, and Lord, we're just thankful for that illustration of a man that had enough. And it was just a dried up old pea field. And he said, enough. You're not having it. You're not taking the food out of my family's mouth. You're not stepping one more foot on my ground. And he took that ox goat and killed 600 of them. And he was victor victorious because the Bible tells us he delivered Israel. Lord, we just have to look within ourselves and ask us what we're fighting for. Lord, what have we delivered? Have we delivered our wives from, from, from the world around us? We delivered our children from the world around us. Are we fighting for our church the way we should be fighting for our church? Do we fight and protect our pastors the way we should? The other people of God? Are we in the fight, Lord? Or are we just sitting on the sidelines watching people fall one after another? Lord, so many people have laid down their ox goad. I pray tonight, Lord, if there's someone here that's laid it down or thinking about laying it down, Lord, that you'd give them the courage to repent and to stand up and be accountable before you tonight to wield what you've given them, Lord, in a mighty way. Father, we need more men in the fight. We need more men called of God, prepared to go out into the world to preach the gospel to the lost and dying souls. We need more women, Lord, that will reach out to the young women around us that are lost and, and living in sin and misery, trying to raise kids the world's way instead of God's way. Father, we get a hold of more families and make a difference in this life before we step off into eternity. What a blessing that would be. Our, our names will not never be written down in the Word of God, but they... We know, Lord, that you know our names and you know what we've done for you. And, Lord, that we might, we might stand before you and hear, well done. Lord, there are some decisions that have to be made. And we know, Father, truly, if there's children of God here, they're not doing what you'd have them to do. The Spirit of God is not going to let them settle this matter easily. Lord, I pray the Spirit of God would stir their souls, stir their hearts. Lord, that you might even call men to the gospel ministry this very day. Lord, they yield their hearts to you and all they have to serve you for the rest of their days. We need more men, Lord. We need more women. We need more godly children. We need more churches with backbone. And Father, that just doesn't happen accidentally. I pray tonight, Lord, you'd use these words. You'd use your spirit, Lord, to move, move among the people that are here tonight. Lord, that your will would be done. Father, we love you. We thank you for all you do in Jesus' name. Amen.